If you have your Bible this morning, turn with me to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. And as I said last week, we are in a sequence of uh, three paragraphs that are answering one of Mark's two fundamental questions, a little bit over the other, though these two always uh, more or less go together. Uh, The questions, who is Jesus? And what does Jesus require or ask from his followers? Uh, These three paragraphs that begin with Jairus coming to Jesus and then are interrupted by uh, the woman with a flow of blood and then come back to Jairus uh, and find by then that his daughter has died and Each of those three paragraphs is really focused in on just who is Jesus, that people bow down before him like this. Who is Jesus, that somebody can be healed by merely touching his garment? Who is Jesus, that he has the power to raise the dead? Uh, that's, that's the question that is answered. And so just, just a second before we read that, we go this morning after we read that to our basing our pastoral prayer on Psalm 127. Uh, it was struck this week, the pro-life group contacted us, and I, apparently there's a, a petition going around town that the presentation of it's fairly misleading. Uh, You might feel like you're signing up a pro-life petition, but it's anything other than that. It actually aims in quite a different direction. Uh, I was just struck by, and and this issue in America really has turned a corner in the last few years, right? So that uh, I went on a little while ago, I went online and Looked on Amazon where you can you can buy you can buy yourself now and I love abortion pin. That's an interesting pin. I love abortion. You used to not. We we're never quite there. Nobody wanted to say anything like that quite out loud. We say it out loud now, as a nation. As a nation. Um, that's part of our progression. I love abortion. I love lying. I love blasphemy. I love stealing. I love, you just name your way down the Ten Commandments. We're progressing. In that direction. But Psalm 27, Psalm 127, reminding us that the biblical worldview is so opposite in everything of a secular worldview. But when it comes to children, strikingly so, strikingly so. And Psalm 127 certainly brings that. Out. Well, let's stand together and I'll, I'll read uh, from verses 25 to 34. And a woman being in a flow of blood for 12 years and suffering much under many physicians and having spent all that she had and profited, profiting nothing but rather becoming worse, hearing concerning Jesus... And coming in the crowd behind him, she touched his garment, for she was saying, If I may touch his garment, I shall be healed. And immediately the flow 
of her blood was dried up. And she knew in her body that she was healed from her disease. And immediately, Jesus, knowing in himself that power had departed out, having turned to the crowd, he was saying, Who is the one who touched my garments? The disciples were saying to him, Do you see the crowd pressing you and you say, Who has touched me? But looking around to see who it was who had done this. The woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came. She fell down before him and spoke to him all the truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be well from your disease. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, you assure us that if you build the house, we don't labor in vain if we build it. But the opposite is also true. If you do not build the house, then we do labor in vain who build it. If you don't keep a city safe, if you don't keep it moral, if you don't keep it decent, then vainly those keeping it will watch to that end. Even if we are rising early in the morning and going to bed late at night, seeking a task, whatever that task may be, we labor in vain unless you would bless our efforts. We devote everything to a cause so that we are, as the psalmist says, eating the bread of anxious toil and that you give to your beloved rest and sleep. But apart from your blessing, we accomplish nothing. But you do bless us. We had a flower on this morning. Behold the inheritance of the Lord. It's children. Psalmist says, sons. The reward of the fruit of the womb. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are sons being born to young men. Blessed is the man whose quiver is filled from them. They shall not be put to shame when they speak with their enemies in the gate. Lord, we have many concerns. We pray for many things. And we are reminded by this psalm that our only hope is that you hear us in your mercy and answer us by your grace and meet us and enable us to rest our lives in you in the midst of the turmoil and the disappointment and the downward grade of our present times culturally, spiritually in our nation, morally. Lord, may we be those who trust you, who believe you, who love you, who hear your word and take it to heart. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. All of us.
of us have a story. Uh, you have a story. You know, uh, like nobody else, uh, your own story. And the story that we have is always, whether we acknowledge or not, whether we know it or not, it's absolutely always uh, very much a God-related story. Um, Paul, in his letter to the Romans, you remember, summarizes sort of the big picture, biblical view of the world this way. The end of the 36th verse in Romans 11. For from him and through him and to him are all things. So you look back over your life and in hindsight you can often see what God was up to key junctures in your life, how he brought you this person or that, or this situation or that, gave you this challenge or spared you from much challenge at all through long stretches of life. Looking backwards, you can tell what God was up to. The Puritan John Flavel is famous for this little quip, this one-liner. He wrote, The providence of God is like a Hebrew word. It can only be read backwards. What he meant by that is most European languages, and certainly English, right? You read it from left to right. You read it you, left to right, left to right, left to right. Hebrew right to left. So from our perspective, Hebrew written backwards. It's written backwards. You read from the wrong side of the page in in the Hebrew text. And that's Flavel's point. It's only looking back that you're able to read providence often with some accuracy. In the moment, it's often impossible to read. You have no idea what God is doing often in your present moment, in your present week, in your present month. But five years from now, looking back, you may have a really clear idea about what God was up to. I was mentioning um, this this last Thursday morning to the men's group in, in mentioning the pastor poet John Newton. Newton wrote some autobiographical pieces that were really, really deep with the awareness of God's providence when he looked back over his life from beginning to end, and his life was a very up-and-down sort of life. Uh, He was born into a home where his father was relatively spiritually indifferent, but his mother was tremendously devout. And so that by the time John Newton was four years old, he could not only read uh, the Westminster Confession for himself, but he could repeat the answers to the questions from memory at age four. So his mother had worked extremely hard to produce this, like, superstar, spiritual son. But unfortunately, she died when he was only six years old. And Newton's wife quickly remarried, and his new wife quickly had a child. And so by the time Newton was eight years old, the new mom just sort of wanted him out of the house. And so they sent him away to boarding school at age eight, and he got his formal education for two years, and from eight to ten, and then at age 11, his dad took him on the ship with him. His dad was a sailor, and Newton quickly learned the vocabulary and the moral outlook 
of sailors. He would remember his earlier life uh, now and again and show brief interest in Christianity, but for the most part, he just spiraled downhill until he famously, eventually, of course, begins working on slave ships, delivering African slaves to various places in the world, which he recognized as a really dark, murderous, absolutely inhumane activity. But it's what he did. Until he eventually slid so far down that he basically virtually became a slave himself. And then slowly but surely through providential meetings and providential rescues, he comes back and reclaims his faith. And he summarized the whole thing, right, in, in his most famous line uh, that he ever wrote, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Striking in his narrative, though, is that he's, he's pointing to the providence of God. God did this, and God did this, and God did this, and God did this, and God rescued me here, and God brought me there. And so it was. So it is. In another of his lines, he wrote this, also very autobiographical. Through many dangers, toils, and snares... I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe this far, and grace that leads me home. I mention all this because the woman that we meet in our story for this morning, looking back, I'm sure she eventually could see the providence of God in her life. The providence of God even in some really dark stretches of her life. Um, One of Newton's best friends and somebody that he tried to pastor out of depression a good section of his life was also a poet, a little bit more famous poet than he was in some ways, named William Cooper. And William Cooper wrote a hymn that has the line in it, Behind a frowning providence, God hides a smiling face. Behind a frowning providence, God often hides a smiling face. The woman that we meet here would have been able to rewrite one of Newton's lines. She might have written it this way. Through much disappointment, discouragement, and heartache, I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe this far, and grace will lead me home. state our thesis for this morning this way. God works in us through many dangers, toils, and snares. He really does. He works in us through many dangers, toils, and snares. Make four comments from on our text for this morning related to this, all providence related. Number one, providence leads people into real trouble, almost inevitably. Almost everybody ends up in trouble at some point, but often, quite strikingly, in this woman's case, very strikingly, providence leads people into real trouble. That line from Paul again, from him and through him and to him are, you got to underline it so you don't miss it, all things. Not all good things, not all pleasant things, 
only, they're included, all things from him and through him and to him are all things. Verse 25. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. You know, just a word because of the way this works, right? We got, a, we got this three-paragraph story. Jairus, the woman, Jairus. And in that little sequence, you get a great picture of the relativity of time. Right? So Jairus' daughter is dying when she is 12. That's a short life. That's a stunningly short life. I had a nephew who died of cancer at 13. That's a short life. That's a stunningly, disappointingly short life. But a flow of blood, 12 years, that's a long problem. That's a really long problem. An overwhelmingly discouraging mentally deranging sort of problem. And that's what we're told about her. She has this flow of blood, 12 years. We don't know how old she is. We don't know whether this just started when her cycle started and never stopped, or whether she started a normal cycle and then one time went into her cycle and then just didn't come out for 12 years. Either way. Either way, that's what's going on. That's the picture. And Mark, in a really brief scope, by using, he uses, he uses five different little participial phrases to paint a picture of how overwhelmingly negative the providence in this woman's life is. Uh, I'll just change them all into ing endings so you can see, you know, how the little participles work, each one. So she was being in a flow of blood 12 years. She was suffering at the hands of many physicians. She was spending all the money that she had. And she was benefiting nothing by spending all her money, and she was coming into a situation that was simply worse and worse. That's overwhelming. So she gets this ailment. She tries many painful treatments to get rid of it. She spends all her money on those painful treatments and nothing helped at all. In fact, over the 12-year period, her condition seems only to be worsening. That's bad. That is bad. More than that, she is having this experience as a Jewish woman. There's provision made in the Levitical law for somebody with a problem just like hers. And it is a limiting, challenging provision. Here's how it's put. Leviticus 15, 25 to 27. 
If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the discharge, she shall continue in uncleanness. In the days of her impurity, she shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies, all the days of her discharge, shall be to her as the bed of her impurity. Everything on which she sits shall be unclean as to her uncleanness of her menstrual impurity. And now here's the key. And whoever touches these things shall be unclean. She'll wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until evening. You get the picture? So she goes to anybody's house, sits on anything, that thing officially. Unclean, nobody else can sit on it or touch it unless they want to go through the whole ritual themselves. So you're basically like supersonic isolated. If you're trying to if you're trying to be a faithful Israelite, you're confined to home. Anything you touch becomes unclean. Anything that touches you is considered to be unclean. Um, that's where that's where she's at. Providence leads people into real trouble. Really does. We have people in our congregation been battling cancer now for a long time. One little over three years. That's a long time. That's a long time. Another that you read in the prayer chain mentioned a family, not in our congregation, but with connections to our congregation, where a little girl is diagnosed with liver cancer when she's three years old. That, that is a frowning providence. Others dealing with Alzheimer's disease, others with chronic breathing issues, and on and on we could go, and now we're only touching upon things easily uh, recognized all the stuff that's more complicated, that's relational. Uh, providence leads people into real trouble. And some people have really overwhelming circumstances, right? And this woman is among them. It's, a, it's the reverse of the little children's fable, right? Chicken Little, where your Chicken Little has an acorn fall on her head and she overreacts and the sky is falling, the sky is falling when it's just an acorn. It's really no big deal. This woman, though, it's not just like that the sky is falling. But from above, the sky is falling and she would feel like, and from beneath, the earth is opening up its mouth and swallowing me down. There's nowhere to go. Nothing to be done. I've tried it all. And she was being in a flow of blood 12 years, and she was suffering at the hands of those physicians, and she was spending all the money that she had, and she was benefiting nothing for all her trouble, and she was coming into a situation that was worse and worse. There she is. Secondly, Providence leads people to hear and hope in Jesus. Providence leads people to hear and hope in Jesus. Um, The next two participles, and that's what it is, in verse 27, start turning the corner. Verse 27 opens this way. And she heard the reports... Or, and hearing the reports about Jesus, she was coming. She came. Hearing concerning Jesus. Hearing about Jesus. 
Now, I want you to notice something. The reason that she would pay so much attention to what she heard about Jesus is that it was healing related. And the reason that she would pay so much attention to anything healing related is that she's had this overwhelming problem for 12 years. So any hope, because she's got no hope, any word of hope anywhere, if she could believe it, it would get her attention. And she heard such things. She heard rumors of Jesus. She heard rumors of meetings and encounters that are summarized by the text that worship team read Luke 5:17 On one of those days he was teaching the Pharisees and the teachers of the law they were sitting there and they had come from every village in Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem and the power of the Lord was on him to heal she hears this there's this guy that at times the power of the Lord is on him to heal. If she didn't have this problem, she probably wouldn't have cared about what she heard about Jesus. Doesn't have anything to do with me. Don't care. Psalm 73, the middle of it, the psalmist says, That he noticed that it's not always a blessing if the Lord gives you providential ease all your life long. It's not necessarily a blessing. Psalm seventy-three, twelve. he put it this way. Behold, these are the wicked. Always... At ease, always at ease. They increase in, in, in wickedness. I actually didn't have this down, but I, just, I read it this morning just as part of my, my regular uh, Bible reading. Uh, it says a very similar thing in the New Testament in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 17, where John wrote, Because you say, I am rich, and I have become rich, and I have need of nothing, and you don't know, you don't know that you are wretched, and pitiable, and poor, and blind, and naked, because you don't have those kinds of problems. You got, everything's going fine for me. Situation. That's what they had, which is why they had no real interest in Jesus, and were going along, uh, going along their their merry way. Um, but this woman, she's not always at ease. For twelve years, she's been in continuous turmoil and trouble. And that's precisely what makes her so prone to take the message that she gets about Jesus seriously. Now, we live in a cultural time, ironically, where two things happen at once, as I referred to in touching on the abortion question, but our our moral foundations are crumbling. But at the same time, but at the same time, many of our people feel more virtuous than ever, right? Because we have, a, we have a whole system built in our culture, brand new, called virtue signaling, right? And you have virtual sing, virtue signals that work on the right and they, they work on the left. So if, if, if you've got a, a virtue if on, the, on the right, you know, you might, you might wear a Make American Great Again hat. Well, that's one of the good people, right? If you're on the right, there you go, there you go, that's good. Uh, National Rifle Association bumper sticker on your car, there you go. That's one of the good people. That's that's one of the that, that's one of the good people. Uh, on, on the other side, you know, you have uh, things like, well, 
You know, you are, you are tremendously open to the sexual revolution. You know, so you put, you put a, you put a pride flag right out in your yard, you know, during the uh, uh, entire month of June. Uh, that's, that's pride month or like uh, many people in the uh, university district out in Seattle, they all, they all got Black Lives Matter uh, posters on their, on their front yard. What is that? That's virtue, that's virtue signaling. Wonderful people live here. Wonderful, tolerant, amazingly kind people live here. Whoa, that can be deadly either side, right? I'm a wonderful conservative. How much do I need Jesus? Not much. I'm a wonderful progressive. How much do I need Jesus? Not much. Filled with virtue we are. We, we, wear, we wear the symbols of our virtue all over the place. Where in fact, our actual situation, as Paul summarizes it famously in Romans, is all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, or to let a poet put it, uh, our situation before us, Charles Wesley, in his most famous hymn, Jesus, Lover of My Soul, has that line, false and full of sin I am. There's a line, false and full of sin, I am. I, if you have that self-understanding, I desperately need, I desperately need a solution to my problem with sin. And here's how John puts it, 1 John 5, 7. Well, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin, the only place to find forgiveness in all the world, Jesus. The only reason you'll care about that is if you know yourself to be a sinner, somebody in trouble with God. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Thirdly, providence leads people to humbling close encounters with Jesus. And she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed by her disease. Now notice what she believes and notice what her strategy is. She believes, possibly, if this is true that I've heard. If I just touch his garments, I'll be healed. That's an amazing thought, how she got that thought in her head. But she did. That's what she told herself. If I just touch his garments, I will be healed. Imagine she groaned a little bit when she found him in a massive crowd She's going to have to work her way into that crowd to get her hand on Jesus. But her plan is touch him and go home. She doesn't, she doesn't intend to tell Jesus anything about herself. She does not intend to meet him in any personal way. She plans to touch him, be healed, and go home. That's her plan. That's her plan. And initially, it works unbelievably well. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the elation when she comes up behind him and feels this, verse 29, and immediately the flow of her blood dried up. And she felt it in her body. She knows it. She knows it worked. (laughs) It worked. And she starts to make her way back through the crowd. And then the wheels start to come off. (laughs) 
And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out, immediately he turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? Like, oh, rats. Who touched my garments? Now, the commentators at this point, they have quite a discussion about, does Jesus actually know exactly who this woman is? I mean, he knows that power went out from him. Is he just pretending not to know, right? He's God, so he's omniscient. He must know who the woman is. But actually, if you have your Christology a little bit more biblical, you also know, yes, but he's also man. He might not know who she is. In fact, everything in the story would indicate he really doesn't know who she is. He knows that something happened, but he doesn't know. He turns around. Who touched my garments? And she's frozen. And now the disciples step up to give Jesus a, you know, a small lecture because he... He can be unreasonable. He gets things. Sometimes Jesus can be just plain silly, right? The disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and you say, who touched me? You know, sometimes, Lord, you can be a little clueless. There they are, the pressing all around you, and you who touched me? Oh, for crying out loud, right? Helping Jesus out. Helping Jesus out. We often feel that way in our own way. Jesus gets it wrong. We read some, oh, all oh, that, well, all oh, that. No, he's never wrong. He's never off. Uh, you see the crowd pressing around you. Why do you say, who touched me? He ignores them. And he looked around to see who had done it. And she turns around. She came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. That's embarrassing. She's got an embarrassing problem. Worse than that, remember, she she has she's not been overly faithful to the Levitical law to get there. Everybody who touches her unknowingly is becoming unclean. She didn't care. She went worked her way through the crowd. I'm sure she probably tried her best not to touch but she's gonna to touch Jesus. Her whole her whole plan is to touch him, and now she's got to tell him. Yes, I am Levitically unclean, and my plan was to come and touch you and possibly render you unclean without knowing it. And I touched all kinds of people here. And she tells him all about that. That's what she did. That's her problem. She tells him the whole truth. And now we're we're right with the disciples. Jesus shouldn't have made her do that. He shouldn't have made her do that. That, oh, that was unnecessary. That was uncalled for. But actually, you know, in the New Testament, you have to remember this. God is big into humility. We're not. We don't like humility. Well, we like American humility. See? See? In America, we're humbled by winning awards. That's what humbles us. Uh, so, you know, I'm inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. I get up and I say, oh, I'm so humbled to be here today, being inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Um, uh, now, there, there, it's not that that's total, right? I mean, there's a, there's a teeny piece of truth with that. That is, some people who who achieve much, they're not, they're not overly comfortable with having their achievement acknowledged. That's what they mean by I'm, I'm, I'm humbled. What they really mean is, 
I'm uncomfortable when I receive this reward. This makes me uncomfortable. I don't like, I don't like ceremonies like this. But that's not humility. That's just uncomfortable. Um, humility tends to come to us when people find out how pathetic we really are, and we are, in many ways. And that's what this woman, that's what she has to. I have had this problem, and I came out, and this was my idea, and I've been healed. Well, James summarized it in James 4, 4. God is opposed to the proud. He gives grace to the humble, and that's about what's going to happen to her right here. Fourth and finally, and just at closing very quickly, providence leads people to salvation and peace with God. Um, now this, verse 34, um, it's a, it's, a, it's a little surprising how the commentators, like you said last week, in, in last week's passage, none of the commentators want to put any special significance on the fact that the word for healed here is, is, the, is a word that can certainly just mean heal, sozo, but in broader context, I mean, it's the word for salvation. And in, in, in an eschatological book like the New Testament, an eschatological book like the Bible, you might think that there's a, a bit of a double entendre there, right, as you choose. Because there's other words you could have used for healing, but he chooses the word that also can double off as salvation. But in the previous paragraph, all the commentators say, no, 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 no reference beyond physical healing here. In this paragraph, they all join the other team. They all join the other team. Yes, yes, yes. There's probably a hint here at salvation from sin, eschatological salvation. And they say that for a, for a discernible reason that's right there in the text, right? The mention of peace, right? So... So she has been healed. She has been saved. Um, and, uh, and comes into, and he says, go in peace. So daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. You could translate that. Daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The idea being, She's really come, she's met Jesus now in a different way than she meant to. And he tells her, go in peace. Well, what does he mean by that? Well, ultimately, for, for Jesus to be at peace is to be at peace with God, right? Paul's famous opening to Romans chapter 5, verse 1, therefore, having been justified by faith, she's got faith. She's got faith to be healed. Those being justified by faith, they have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But also, in, in, in this text, in a very similar sort of way, um, you know, as he closes it out, he also uses a a broader word, a broader metaphorical word to close it out in verse 34. Be well from your disease, they say, from your scourge, from your scourge. So, Greek word for whipping somebody. So it's a disease, it's a trouble, it's a problem. It's a painful problem. He uses that broad metaphorical word to close it out. Your scourge, your trouble, go in peace from your scourge, from your trouble. Well, we got all kinds of related problems with her, right? We got trouble. 
that we can't fix. Many of our congregations, they got trouble. They can't fix. They've had it for a while. They're hoping Jesus will help them. We all have sin trouble. I hope you know it. I hope you've got more righteousness than the virtue of virtue signaling about you. I hope that you've seen your need, desperate need, to be forgiven. That's your only hope in the world. And Jesus, Jesus is the only place you can find that forgiveness. The only place. There's no other name given among men. No other place to go. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Nowhere else to go. Desperate need. And in the providence of God, many of you, you've come to see that. And looking back, you think, wow. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Just as I close, I had a, had a friend uh, call me out of the blue yesterday. I had not talked to him in 40 years. 40 years. Native guy from up in British Columbia. We played basketball together. Talked to him on the phone for about two and a half hours. Hadn't talked to him in 40 years. Uh, but though I spent many, many hours with him, I don't think he's really a believer. Tried to talk to him a little about that on the phone. You know, it's not over yet. Who knows? Talked to him a little bit more regularly now, but we talked about how we spent just countless hours together. Countless, countless, countless hours playing basketball and this and that and the other thing. And um, that's providence. And he looked me up, and I tried to find him a while ago, called me out of the blue, 40 years. Maybe the Lord's up to something. We'll see. Hope so. I hope so. The providence of God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, I ask that you would enable us to see what a gift we have been given if we've experienced our need for you, if we've seen the importance of Jesus in our lives, if we, like this woman, have come to Jesus, told him all the truth about us, and received peace. Having been justified by faith, we could have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for it, and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.